the world is full of so many noises and there is such a growing space to roar my own opinion in any given format or digital platform and not that there shouldn't be conversation and space to be heard and to hear but the voice that we should be listening to most to inform our own voice to give us something to say is the word of God. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Kristen Getty. Kristen is an award-winning singer and songwriter, and she and her husband Keith are well-known around the world for hymns such as In Christ Alone and The Power of the Cross. Originally from Northern Ireland, Kristen and her husband currently live in Nashville, Tennessee with their four daughters. Kristen recently partnered with Crossway to produce a brand new audio recording of the entire Book of Psalms, and is currently working on a recording of the whole Bible set to be released in the summer of 2021. Today, Kristen and I discussed congregational singing, the power of music for teaching doctrine, and the foundational role of scripture for the Christian life. She reflects on her career in the Christian music industry, explains why hymns still matter and are worth learning today, and shares how her family has been seeking to use music to serve others during this season of lockdown. Let's get started. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Thanks for having me. So for the last few months of COVID-19 lockdown that we're all living in still, you and your husband Keith and your four kids have been doing these really fun family hymn sings on your Instagram page where people can tune in and join along. Yeah. And I'm curious what the genesis for that idea was. Right. Where did you get the idea and when did you actually start? Right, well, it goes, it goes bef- comes before lockdown and that for the last, you know, f- for years, Keith and I have been very focused on writing hymns with the church and passionate about congregational singing and getting churches singing. But we really believe that that is strengthened, indeed, grown and supported through singing in the home. And so a few years ago, we became a bit more intentional about that with our own children. We have four little girls from nine until nine, six, five, and two. And so Talia sort of hasn't really known any different, but she's, you know, still still so tiny. And we started doing basically a hymn a month. And it's nothing fancy. It's a very simple little thing. We pick a song, we start learning at the beginning of the month, and throughout the month, we just build on that. We sometimes sing along with our iPhone. Sometimes it's just singing a cappella. And on very fancy evenings, Keith will bring his guitar upstairs into the bedroom. Typically do this at nighttime before they go to sleep. We find that a good time to sing with them. And so over the course of the last few years, they really have built quite a library of of hymns and songs and we've added that added to that of course because they travel with us often and um, well did back when we used to travel and do tours when we actually and left our homes w- yes when we actually left our homes and ventured out into the world they would come with us on the bus and so they were familiar with a lot of the songs then and so it was St. Patrick's night it was a um, a warmish evening in Nashville Tennessee and typically Irish people they have lots of fun and get together and sing and dance on St. Patrick's Day and Keith was feeling very frustrated at having to be in, lo- in lockdown and so I said well why don't we just jump on Facebook live at that point we started with Instagram um, as we went on and let's sing a few songs let's bring the kids let's sing some hymns let's pick a few that are Irishy sounding and let's see if other families want to join in with us and they did and we were so encouraged and excited 
by the response. You know, initially there was a lot of of that. I know Fox News, for example, um, ran a story on it um, that that next week, which generated a lot, a lot of a lot of interest. But it's just been a really great way to keep connecting with people, um, connecting with more people, encouraging individuals and grandparents and families um, of every, every age um, to come together on a Tuesday night. Initially, it was at seven fifteen p.m. because I knew Talia, our youngest, would be in bed at that time. Yeah. We were on our own, and I just thought, Keith, we can do this, but not with a baby. You know, we're going to have to make sure she's sleeping. But it has been a fun thing to do with them, and, and a way I've sort of told my kids, this is one of the ways that we can help people during this season and encourage people and the things that always stay the same and singing songs, particularly some of the older hymns that have been sung throughout many generations and still are, are, are true today and something that we can rally around um, in these just constantly changing times. Yeah, essentially anyone with Spotify or Apple Music can just turn something on. It's that simple. Yes, this is the thing. Music has never been so accessible to us. It's such an exciting thing. You know, we don't need to be a, a, as lovely as it is to be around a piano. And I love that with the girls and we can do that. We, if we have a phone, we can take it anywhere. Yeah. You know? And it's and it's just such a, it's such a, honestly, low-hanging fruit for busy parents. Um, and it's just hard to get them to sit down. In the evening, I just find the music calms them and, um, it's a, and they just pick it up. And it just, even Talia, today we were out for a walk and she was walking behind me and all I could hear her saying was, Hi-yoo-yah, thine the glory. hi And she just started, because there's just something about music. It just comes to your mind. You start singing. And, and so what a great opportunity we have to fill these little eager minds with these great truths and songs that they can hopefully sing when they're 70 and we're no longer with them. Yeah, it makes me think of my five-year-old son. He's he's our middle child and he loves the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, he only knows a verse or so of it and doesn't even know all of the words. Uh, but it's like the words of that hymn are constantly running through his mind. Yeah. And to your point about the richness of the doctrinal content in so many of our hymns, uh, he's just always asking questions. What does that line mean? And what does that phrase mean? And it's just always running through his head. And you and your husband, you're often referred to as modern hymn writers. And so a question that I think often many of us have is, what exactly makes a hymn a hymn? <laughs> you're going to ask that. I'm sure you get yes. that question a lot. What makes a hymn? Yeah. And I, I can hear my husband's response ringing in my ears because one of the things he always says is that it is not, there's no scientific answer to that question. And a lot of people have very different notions as to what a hymn is and what a worship song. I think um, the, the the notion behind trying to write a hymn, I think at a very basic level, is you're trying to write a song that will still be valid and people enjoying singing along to 30 years from now. That is one, one of the goals, you know, where a more, uh, um, more pop music focus is to try and find a song that's, for, for now and for today for and moment. speaks exactly for the moment. And the typical idea of, of a hymn was if, you know, historically they're, they're published in a hymn book that it had to survive and, and be still um, part of the repertoire of people as long as the publication ran for. 
and so that gave a whole different spin in what you see. So you weren't trying; you were trying to say something that um, had a, had a deep content, could linger on, said something, but also a, a melody that could continue to be sung and still seem fresh and singable. Which a lot of folk music, um, that's what it does. You know why we sing like "Be Thou My Vision," for example, as an old hymn has been around for hundreds of years, and yet when you sing it. It still seems fresh. There's a timeless quality to it, and so um, him. That that's our, you know, as I said before, our goals. We try to write, and we don't always hit it. For goodness' sake, you know, it's such a it's such a lofty goal. But that's what we're aiming for. Will this melody be sung in twenty years, thirty years, forty years from now? And is this text worth keeping around and can speak to? a lifelong journey of following the Lord. Um, so that those are sort of our, our goals. And that's not to say that some modern, more pop songs don't last long. It's just it's sort of it's just slightly a different emphasis. You know, in, in America, Christian music is usually transported through the radio and the radio has a different list of priorities very often. Contemporary radio does. That wouldn't necessarily be the same as a hymnal. Um, and so that those are those are some of the some of the differences. Um, I'm sure you have other thoughts yourself and people that are listening will have lots of ideas on it. But it's, I think it's it's good to talk about it in terms of goals and what you're trying to go after as opposed to the word hymn. People called them hymns really before we did. That was just sort of, it just sort of happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm struck that one of the things that you kind of assumed in your answer is that hymns are meant to be sung by groups of people. And that connects well with an emphasis that you and your husband have both made mm-hmm. in your, your hymn writing over the years that being congregational worship and the idea that uh, the church is coming together to sing songs uh, as one voice. And that really seems to be the main context for much of the music that you both write. So I, I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Has that been an intentional goal of yours over the years? Is that is that core to what you're trying to do? Yeah, you know, and a lot of it, um, yeah, that, that idea is probably best expressed in how we go about writing a song. We have a concept of something that we're trying to talk about, be it the church, Oh Church Arise, a Stuart and Keith song, or the cross, Power of the Cross, or There's a Higher Throne, Let's Do a Song About Heaven. But we always start with the melody, typically. And there's occasionally there'll be a lyric idea that comes to, comes to mind, but we know that if we get a melody that is singable and attractive, that um, it will be sung. You know, a lot of people will sing great melodies with very bad words, and very few will really sing great words with a really bad melody. Um, so I think that that's where the power of the melody to make it attractive and engaging and memorable and, and honestly beautiful. You know, people, you know, beauty is important. It's how we're made to appreciate that. And so um, we, we try to find a melody that will work that way, which makes a very, some ways, sometimes a tiny niche. And we feel like we're hitting ourselves over the head trying trying to get there. But that's what we're we're always trying to do. Then after that, then we form sort of the, the skeleton of the lyric. And so there's always sort of want to have a direction, some sort of a consistency, a, a coherency to what we're trying to do. If we were to, to develop a theme and to bring it through. Um, and then we hook that onto the melody. Because sometimes if you start with a lyric, you can get very, you know, very bound to that lyric and you start to bend the melody to support it. But that slight bend in the melody might not actually be congregational. I was going to ask that, actually. Uh, are, are there ever cases when you have this turn of phrase, this 
great line that you've written that you just love and you think it beautifully captures some biblical truth in a really powerful way, but you're struggling to get it to yeah. fit in with the melody. And sometimes you just have to work harder. Anyway, we first started writing hymns with, with Stuart Townend, and he was just a master at this of being able to distill such big concepts and big lines of scriptures into neat, memorable phrases. You know, that was, and I just really appreciated years around around him, as, you know, to try and to try and learn this. And in these recent years, people like Matt Boswell and Matt Papa do a great job of that too. Um, and, and others, you know, just trying to find it. So that, that is the art. That is it right there, how, how you can turn a line in such a way that captures everything. Well, not everything. Obviously, no song ever tells every part. And sometimes we've been able to make a line work. And other times we just have to set it aside and put it on the, the, you know, the lyric shelf and we'll pull that for the next song, you know. Yeah. So thinking about Scripture, uh, I think it's often easy for us to view the Bible as maybe a compendium of historical narrative or instruction, mm -hmm. like we see in the New Testament, letters from people like Paul. And sometimes we can miss just how much of Scripture was originally written to be sung or written with a musical or mm -hmm. poetic form in some way. So do you remember mm -hmm. going back maybe to childhood, the first time that you realized just how much musical content there is in the Bible? Oh my goodness. I remember singing plenty of scripture songs whenever I was little where they would just take direct verses and there's been obviously so many songs that have been written inspired by verses. Beloved, let us love one another, you know. And all that that doesn't seem to happen as much anymore. Not not as much. We tried to do one little song with our kids um, and you can see what the heart of this was. Um, it was, be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we did this whole thing. We were trying to homeschool three children around a table, and we were like, we need a Bible verse to help bring this thing together. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, no, I, you know, I grew up singing um, many different songs, contemporary and hymns that were filled with scripture. And obviously a lot of reading aloud of particularly the Psalms. You know, the Psalms are often used as call to worship in our own church now. Very few Sundays that there's not a Psalm read. And I know in certain more traditional formats, they can't imagine a Sunday without a Psalm being read. And how that has formed not just the songs we sing, but the shape of the services and liturgies that that we um, share with one another um, from from Sunday to Sunday. Um, we have a, a very good friend that passed away a few years ago, and my uncle uh, spoke at his funeral. And my uncle was able to ask him, what is it you would wish to tell people at the funeral? And he said, tell them to submerge their, their whole selves into, into the Word of God so that they have something to say. And whether we sing it or read it for ourselves, or hear it read out loud, or pray it. The world is full of so many noises, and there is such a, um, a growing space to roar my own opinion in any given format or digital platform, and not that there shouldn't be conversation and space to be heard and to hear, but the voice that we should be listening to most to inform our own voice, to give us something to say, is, is the Word of God. Um, and that was very much spoken into my life as, as a kid, as I sang and as I listened and went through countless Bible studies and scripture memorization and something that I am trying to do in this new world <laughs> with my own kids. Yeah. 
And if you sit back, if you were to look at the hymnal, for example, and I'm even thinking J.I. Packer passing, you know, if you take the front page of his contents page in Knowing God and just all the different themes, and then you go to a hymnal and see so many of those themes replicated in that or mentioned in the in the contents page, hymns just covering so many different topics in the life of Christ and the church's year and, um, and different parts of the service. Uh, it's just an, an amazing thing. While the hymn book itself is really interesting, you know, I think for a lot of people it maybe feels a little bit antiquated, something they don't use very often, if at all, in their church. But it is such an incredible physical artifact because it brings together uh, so many of these songs, these doctrinally rich songs, in an organized and comprehensive way. You, you can open up a hymn book and find a song based on any particular doctrine you're yeah. interested in. And that's the thing, it's organized. I, I, keep, I feel like I'm going to keep saying this word, that the intentionality of it. You know, for generations, people cared hugely about what their congregation sang. You, know, you go back to the first Genevan Psalter and Calvin finding the best musicians in the land to write beautiful music and setting the Psalms, setting the Psalms to music. He was so careful and um, had set such a high standard on the musicianship of all of that to try and create a canon of work that people, that could become part of people's lives for a long period of time, that whole families could grow up singing these and so sing the truth of God. And then, you know, compare that to perhaps the last generation or two where it's, let's pick a good opener that gets people going, you know, and not that that's not part of it, but just, it's so much more than that. You know, we, we come, it's a, it's a whole activity it's a sacred thing so much is learned and understood and for a watching world looking in you know they are figuring out what it is we believe how we understand the Lord how we approach the Lord and how we approach each other by you know by how we're singing and if it's all happening at the front and nobody's really singing together then you would think well maybe this is not something that people are really engaged in perhaps this is a performance thing or if it's a song people can't really sing then you sort of think well if it's a congregational activity it's sort of a bit odd that maybe they would choose that song because everyone's sort of standing awkwardly not knowing what to do or if it's a song that you could actually take all the lyrics and apply it to a completely different scenario um you think, well, perhaps, you know, they're, they're not, you know, thinking too seriously about this topic. It's OK just to sort of think about it in this way. Those are obviously massive generalizations, but it's just interesting. What would a belie- an, un- an unbeliever think if they were to walk in? How would they understand the Lord and your response as a group to the Lord through the songs that you sing? You know, is it big enough, serious enough, strong enough? Is there enough conviction? Yeah, that's such an interesting rhetorical question for all of us, maybe especially pastors and church leaders. What would an unbeliever think of God based on just the music that we're singing together? And you and your husband, you've not been shy in saying that you're interested in fostering a reformation in worship music. He's so great, my husband. You should talk to him too. He's just brilliant. And so much of my understanding has has come through you know, being married to him and he was, uh, yeah, so he, he's great in all these thoughts and written has written a lot on it. So maybe it's like asking you to pick one of your children as favorite. <laughs> uh, so this might be a difficult question, but if you had to pick, is there a certain hymn that you just return to year after year and has a special place in your heart above all others? 
There's a song called um, Before the Throne of God Above, a hymn that is an old text and then updated in a new melody by Vicky Cook. And I love that, you know, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Then when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward, I look and see him there he made an end. So that was, the verse was back to front there. But I just, I, those, those are some of the greatest lyrics ever written um, in recent years. I, I, you know, there's a, a mission hymn. Sorry, yeah, I'm not going to be able to answer this question. There's no one hymn. <laughs> um, I, I love the simplicity of something like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and just how solid that is, how timeless that is, how it's not just a little notion in my head. I wrote about it today and had the girls singing it. It's just such a, yeah, it's a beautiful piece. Then I also love a song like Facing a Task Unfinished, which we did write a, a, a new chorus to but the whole the, the the verses that Frank Houghton wrote back in the 30s to try and inspire believers in the West to go out to China persecuted China with the gospel facing a task unfinished that you know drives us to our knees you know we, we bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives proclaiming that Jesus died and rose when I sing that song I feel I am part of just this there's thousands of believers all over the world through time with this beautiful precious gift of the gospel what am I going to do today what am I going to do this week that song is one of the reasons that I've missed going to church so much these last few months is because with having young children even when we gather around to watch online church you're so distracted because they're there and I've just so missed having that um sort of still space you know protected space with a congregation knowing that my kids are taken care of by by the children's ministry department and just hearing everybody's voices together just singing these things and it's such it keeps short balances on our life because how quickly do we wander off and so often not intentionally and it's not even incredibly harmful but it's just it's not fruitful and we just lose the opportunity of being part of something so much greater and so much more wondrous and so much more soul stirring and longer lasting and singing a song like facing a task unfinished it just it just gets me so excited about being a believer yeah yeah I know for me too this period of quarantine of being apart from other Christians uh, in the gathered you know, church worship service has been a really good reminder of just how important and valuable that time actually is. Yeah. And I think okay. in the, the normalness of everyday life of week after week, sometimes things like singing next to other Christians in person can be so simple and routine and mundane. And, and yet we're being reminded of how important and big those things actually are. And so I wonder for you and your husband, you're in a u- unique role as uh, worship leaders, songwriters. Yeah. And do you ever struggle, whether you're in a recording studio or leading some kind of event in worship, do you ever struggle just not feeling it? Oh, yeah. Leading people and singing is slightly different than just standing up and singing the same song because you're engaging with a fresh group of people, different people's lives, the lyrics connecting to different things. 
and also being able to sing songs that are have got a rich content they're always there's so much room and space for it constantly to be connecting to your life in different ways I mean just to take the hymn in Christ alone I, I'm so grateful that of all the songs that I ever had to sing over and over and over and over again that that was one you know and I've, and so often too I'm singing no guilt in life no fear in death I mean I just I can't hear that enough <laughs> you know it's uh, all the fears and worries of of just be, you know, being a mum and on the world that we live in and just constantly I just need need that reminder all the time but it is you know it, it is a hard thing to stay refreshed and um that's why you know your own walk with the Lord is always so so important and that has been a huge challenge I think I've had great seasons of walking closely with the Lord and and being able to have more time to read and pray and other seasons which have been so crazy I think um, when I was pregnant, I found it very hard because I was very sick and I find it very hard to get myself onto a stage to sing because I'd just thrown up a few minutes, you know, before. But the Lord knows those things. And and then I find lockdown very difficult because for some people it has created a lots of rest and a sabbatical from life. For us, a sabbatical frontier. But the day we went into lockdown, my life <laughs> changed so significantly. You know, I had the kids, I was homeschooling, I was still doing the work and um, we have had help with cleaning and various different things just to help keep our life going. So I was all gone and the nanny help disappeared. And so I find it find it so difficult to find the same amounts of time for, for singing personally, for reading. And then you take away the church being so there all the time and you, you know, it's been, a, I think, actually quite a vulnerable time for mums in particular these these last few months. Um, and so sometimes it's been the songs that has, have kept me going. A song comes to mind and, and keeps me, keeps my mind from uh, despair, worry, and it can just turn a day right round. Um, and and when those songs are filled with scripture, that's, that, that, is, that is so important. Um, but I think the role of a worship leader or someone who's a lead singer, is to be invitational to everybody else. And part of being invitational to everybody else is that that will require focus to that purpose, which means that you're not always thinking of every single line and every single word that you're saying. It's not that you don't believe it, don't agree with it, have many moments when you're thinking intensely about it, but you're doing you're doing a job. It's like the person who's playing the piano is thinking through notes and chords as well as the song. You know, So I think it's not something... I've talked to a lot of different people about this that we don't beat ourselves up with because we, we're not like completely focused in the moment. There are moments of personal worship when I'm standing in front of people. My act of worship is just as much trying to encourage you to sing as, as it is focusing in every single phrase before the Lord. All of it is done before the Lord. And I feel I've, you know, it's, it is a special thing to be leading people to ever have a microphone because there is a responsibility with it but I do feel that space is an extension of walking your life to honour the Lord so if I've just been out in the bus before a concert and been saying goodnight to my kids or reading a story or talking to them about something and I, my walk to the from the bus to the venue and what I'm thinking about and then onto the stage it should all be a long line of obedience and and that's what we hope we never all walk it correctly and but thanks be to God for his grace and um, that's sufficient you were talking a little bit about just the struggle of this quarantine season that I'm sure everyone is feeling in different ways right now um, I know one of the things that's been helpful for me, both uh, recently and just in the past when I've maybe felt very busy or stressed, 
is just listening to the Bible read aloud. Yeah. And, and that's something that you actually recently finished working on with Crossway, a brand new audio recording of the entire book of Psalms. Which was a lifeline to me, Matt. I'm telling you, it couldn't have come at a better time. Sorry, Keith, I have to go outside for a second and record a few chapters of the Psalms. <laughs> and I just had this lovely private space. Just, I mean, it has been a sheer delight yeah. for me in this season. <laughs> well, and you're already beginning on a recording of the entire Bible, the rest of Scripture as well. And I'm just yeah. kind of curious, most of us probably won't ever have opportunity to read the entire Bible out loud, but you're on this journey right now. And so I'm kind of curious, now that you've done a big chunk of scripture, but you obviously have a lot more ahead of you, uh, what's the experience been like so far to read that much of the Bible aloud? Well, as I just said, a wonderfully refreshing thing from my own spirit, and particularly during lockdown, to have what feels like a delightful escape into and reading it out loud. I mean, we started with the Book of Psalms, and as a songwriter, singer, worship leader, church goer, I'm very familiar um, with many of the Psalms and have used them often in many different ways. Um, but haven't often sat down and just read them through out loud. And being poems and lyrics, they're they're. They were meant for an um, an audible purpose and to, to be heard, to be sung, to be shared, to be spoken out loud. And so to read them um, it, and understanding that that purpose has been such a, a, a refreshing thing. And even um, how, how they've been grouped together. There was, for example, the song, the, the Psalms of the songs of the ascent, songs of the ascent. And there was a number of them. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hill, the songs that would be sung on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the temple. And just what what are some of the things that people are that we should be caring about and thinking about as we a- approach the Lord gathering together? And so it just gave me so many thoughts and ideas. Um, on uh, and one of the ones that popped out a lot was this: the celebration of God's justice. That this is some that justice is a, is important to Him. That um, that sin is taken very seriously, and that He will make things right. And that whole idea has all of creation and all His people trembling with excitement and anticipation that He is a God of justice. That He alone can make things right. And so that, and just in the context of these last few months as well has been just, just washed right over over me and, and um, has been such an encouragement. Yeah. Have you spent much time listening to audio Bibles in the past? You know, I have done in the, maybe not like as, as often um, like throughout my life, but in the last couple of years, I find it actually a multitasking dream for, <laughs> <laughs> and so there's been a few times that I've tried to exercise an elliptical and I can't read and do exercise right. and so um, there's a few times that I was trying to get through um, like one year Bible stuff like at the beginning of this year I started the two year Bible sort of lost my way during lockdown and Crossway came along and said would you like to read the whole Bible I thought yes come and help me get through this help um, me with my Bible help reading help me do my Bible reading um, but I would I would you know press you know listen to um, the audio Bible while I'd be exercising to try and help me get through some of those chapters as a way so for all those mothers out there audio Bibles and audio books has been sometimes the only yeah. way I can actually read something. Yeah, absolutely. All right, maybe a last question. If you had plenty of free time, which I know you don't right now, <laughs> but someday, maybe if you did have free time and you had the inclination, what instrument would you love to learn to play? Oh, the piano. Absolutely. That was easy. That was easy. I've, you know, I learned it when I was younger a little bit. 
um, but never kept with us. You know, singing sort of took over and it became the main thing. And then I met Keith and I was 18. He played piano, so there was no need for me to. But, I mean, I'd love to play the violin, but I just feel the piano would just be such a great thing and able to accompany myself, but also particularly from a writing. And just piano is just such a great instrument for understanding music and chords and how melodies work. Yeah, I've heard it described as sort of a, a mm-hmm. foundational instrument that then allows you to more quickly pick up other, other instruments. That's, that's, yeah, what I've heard. And, and my little bit of understanding, and it has helped me greatly, but I would I wish I'd spent a bit more time on that. So, yeah. So now Eliza is learning a little bit, our daughter Eliza, and Charlotte, she's learning violin, actually. You know, she had to be different. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And just to share a little bit about your own experience as a hymn writer and worship leader and helping, I think, all of us think a little bit more perhaps intentionally about the value of singing, uh, the, the richness of hymns, and the beauty of God's Word. We appreciate it. Thank you for this opportunity. And we're so grateful for all our friends at Crossway and, and just the immense work that you do through books and audio Bibles and podcasts. And so many of us are very, very grateful for all the work that you continue to do to help support us as individuals and families and churches all over the world. So thank you. That was Kristen Getty on singing, hymns, and the beauty of Scripture. Be sure to check out the ESV Psalms read by Kristen Getty, a brand new audio recording from Crossway. And keep your eye out for her audio recording of the full Bible, available in the summer of 2021. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.